Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. Well, if you're like me, I think, I think it's safe to say we all love stories that end with the phrase, and they lived happily ever after. Okay, all right. My wife likes those stories. Okay. Let me, let me back that up. I wrote that into my notes, and maybe it's not true because I got the first response in the, the same response in the first service. Maybe it's different. Maybe guys like stories that end with an explosion and all the bad guys dying. Let me hear a grunt. Yeah, okay, that's good. I appreciate that, yeah. Maybe more ladies-like, and they lived happily ever after. Well, let me backfill it a little bit. Especially after, especially after there's been this great battle or a great crisis or some big obstacles. It, it ensures us that through all the crisis and all the obstacles and all the challenges that everything ends great and everything's going to be all right. And everybody said, aw, right? That all the princes married their princesses, that they all slayed the dragons and overcame all the obstacles, and they lived happily ever after. And after all, though, isn't that what we all hope for? Especially if you're in a season right now where you're in a tough season, where you're facing your own dragons or your own obstacles or your own challenges. You can face it with some level of hope knowing that, yeah, once I get through this, then I'm going to live happily ever after. We like those kind of stories, especially in romance and in love stories, right? I mean, we just like it to all be tied up nice and neat and we just live happily ever after. But how many of you have lived long enough to know there's more challenges and there's more dragons right around the corner, right? Yeah, it's true. And um, when we talk about marriage, it's a little bit of a, I think, and I'm talking from a guy's perspective, so give me a little grace. I just think that the ladies have a little bit of of an advantage on us guys. Um, Ladies, it's okay to say, man. I mean, we're slower learners than you, first of all, okay? It's okay. We all, all the guys in here, we know that, so it's okay for you to amen, but but when it comes to marriage and when it comes to relationships, I really think sometimes girls have more of an advantage because because little girls, they, they dream of their wedding day. I remember when Jake and Carmen were getting married and, and Carmen was planning things. I mean, you would hear every other word. Carmen would say something like, well, I've always dreamed of, and I've always dreamed of this kind of dress, and I've always dreamed of having these kind of colors, and, 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 and I've always dreamed of being at this place outside and and Jake's like I never dreamed of any of that I just whatever you want you know and uh, come on how many guys have at least waved your hand and say yeah I was just there I just stood where they told me to stand I wore what they told me to wear and I had to do one line I do and I messed that up all right and 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 girls not only that but girls grow up practicing this stuff like, a lot of girls, I know I'm painting with broad strokes, but just go with it. Girls, they, they grow up, like, practicing. Like, they have make-believe house. Like, they'll set up pretend tea, and, and their husband will come home, and they'll greet him at the door. Hello. And they'll have a make-believe tea party. Hello, darling. How was your day today? And they have all these make-believe conversations. In other words, women are practicing how to talk good and communicate good. 
Guys, that was a good place for an amen. But anyway, I'm just trying to help your marriage, all right? Here's what I know. Ladies, let me let you in on a secret. Boys are not practicing how to communicate good. Boys are not out. Boy, most boys are not playing house when they're five years old, all right? There could be a couple. I don't know. But they're not playing house. They're playing. Come on, guys. They're playing war. They're playing king of the hill, conquer the mountain. We're not practicing conversation. Like, we don't get together. Come on. Let's get Freddie together and Junior from down the road, and let's talk about our feelings in our days. And how about another spot of tea, Freddie? You know, I mean, we don't do those kind of things. We, we, we don't have any practice doing those kind of things. In fact, we don't have conversation at all. We get together with our buddies. We could go a whole Saturday afternoon without saying a word to each other. We just make noises. <laughs> Huh? I mean, we're playing Conquer the Hill, Rah! and we make explosion noises, Kabong! we make gun noises, pew, pew! and we pretend we're fighting. Come on, guys, don't leave me up here by myself. You know that's true, right? You know, and, and, and we're making all kinds of sounds and, and making grunts, and, and we didn't play house, and we didn't practice conversation. And so no wonder when we get together, man, we're like getting together from two different worlds. It's like aliens have married each other, right? Now, I do appreciate the amens, but men, you got to be careful where you say the amens. I mean, just trying to help you, just kind of. And we don't know how to talk. I remember I was getting married, and we have our first fight. How many of you married folks ever did the silent treatment? Let me just see your hands. Come on. How many of you are doing the silent treatment? Oh, there's a husband there, and his wife's way over here. Wow. But you did the silent treatment? Come on, be be honest in church, the silent treatment. How many of you aren't even married? You're single, but you've given yourself the silent treatment. Let me see your hand. It's because you get in this fight, and you don't know what to say. Right? And you get done, and then it's like, well, then, because you don't know how to communicate in a way that the opposite one will understand. I made all my best war noises, and she doesn't get it. And she had her best tea party moments, and I don't get it. And so we just reserved it. Well, let's just be quiet. And isn't that really weird when you're living in the same house and you're giving each other the silent treatment? Like you pass each other in the hall, and you're, um, you, you know, you're trying to act like you're busy or something. Like Me and Patty, uh, actually, just a couple years ago, I'll just confess, we got in, like, a bad fight. And, of course, she needed to repent. I just i am telling you. <laughs> Can anybody take me to lunch today? <laughs> I mean, we got in this bad fight, and I didn't know what to say to her. And, and I think she knew what to say to me, but she's too Christian to say what she was going to say. And, and, and so, like, there was this silent treatment. And so I thought, well, I'm going to beat her to bed because I'm not going to break the silence, and I'm going to go to bed, and I'm going to pretend I'm asleep before she even gets in there so I don't have to say anything. Don't look at me like that, married folks. You know. And I put my back against her side, and I slept on the little cord of the mattress. How many know what I'm having? How many of you have ever done that? That takes talent. Only married folks know how to do that. It's like, whoa, right? And, and I'm sleeping on the little cord. I got my back turned. I'm pretending. And then I realized, man, I got a meeting at 6 o'clock in the morning. And so I wrote her a note. I said, hey, I got an important meeting at 6 a.m. Could you wake me up at 5 a.m.? And I said it on her pillow. Well, I woke up the next morning, looked at the clock. It was 10 after 6. And I was like, what in the world? I looked over to her side of the bed. She wasn't there. But I found a note on her pillow, and it said, it's 5 a.m. This is your wake-up call. (laughs) Man, I tell you what. 
She's quiet, but let me tell you, she's not, she's not total Christian. I mean, she's got a little devil still. I'm just telling you, all right? All right, she sits there all sweet. I'm going to tell you what. Anyway, in all seriousness, according to statistics, less marriages are going the distance than ever before in the history of mankind. Less marriage. Matter of fact, not only are marriages not going the distance, there are fewer and fewer marriages to start with. In other words, per capita, there's less people even getting married. And the idea of ever after has become just as much a fairy tale, perhaps, as Cinderella. This whole happily ever after. So the question that I want to propose to us as we move forward is, it, it becomes, is marriage still important? Is, is it still valuable? Is it something that God wants? Is, is it still something that's important to society and the, the well-being of our emotional health? Is there really any such thing as happily ever after anymore? There's some people in the room, you know the ever after part, but you don't have the happily part. You're, you're still together, but it's not happy and, and this series is not, I want to make sure, it's not just for the married folks. So if you're, you're single here today or wherever you're at in your relationship status, please don't skip out on this. In fact, I had more single people thank me after the first service for helping give guidelines. Parents, these are good guidelines to bring to your teenagers over these next few weeks. So here's my plan. Today, uh, today I'm going to dive. I'm going to do a little bit deeper dive into the theological idea of marriage. I want to show you that marriage is not something that we just came up with as 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 humans, but it was God's design. So today I want to be a little more theological with this whole idea of marriage. And then in the next couple to three weeks, we're going to take some Old Testament marriages and we're going to use them as models to look at, not only to learn relationship principles, but other principles in our life that we can take from some Old Testament. So today will be more theological and in the weeks coming, uh, will be more application, all right? So let's build our foundation. Our foundation would start like this. There are two institutions that God designed. In the scriptures, we see two institutions that God is the one that created them. The first one is marriage. So God created marriage. He created the institution of marriage. And the second one is where we're at today, is the church. So God created and started the institution of marriage, and he started the institution of the church. Now, there's plenty of other institutions that he doesn't regulate because he didn't institute them. In other words, he didn't start them, so God doesn't regulate them. But whatever God institutes is the thing that he regulates. So, so let me give you an example. He doesn't regulate how to run a museum because <laughs> he didn't start museums. He, he, he doesn't regulate how to run a, a, a restaurant or a hospital because God didn't start those things. But I do want you to know that what God institutes or what he starts, he gives principles to that organization in order for that organization to be successful. Come on, are you guys following me? In other words, the Bible is packed with principles on how to do church and how to do marriage. 
And so the church will be successful if we put his principles to run in his institution called the church. Marriage will be successful if we apply his principles into the institution of marriage. Matter of fact, if you read the New Testament, large portions of the New Testament, some of the letters are called epistles. The epistles are letters to groups of Christians called the church on how to govern, how to do life together, how to do church. It talks to us about the things that ought to happen in church. That's why we don't just come together and let it be a free-for-all. There's things that should happen in church. Communion ought to be served. Prayer ought to be uh, pray. We ought to love one another, build one another up. The teaching of God's Word, the worshiping of the Lord. These are things that the Bible tells us are supposed to happen in this thing called church. Likewise, there are things that need to happen in this thing called marriage. Now, we live in a time, and I think a lot of it is because of Hollywood, and a lot of it is because of maybe the music that we listen to, but we live in a time where we think that if we can find the one true soulmate, that, you know, Cupid's coming down with his little diaper on and shoots us in the heart with an arrow, and we find the right person, everything's going to be all right. Now, we laugh at that here, but that has become the mindset of society because we'll separate and say, well, I didn't find the right one. So we'll look for the right one. Now, I've done hundreds of weddings as a pastor, and I, and I like to meet with them before the wedding day, and I'll say things like, why are you getting married? And then inevitably, the answer will be something like, well, I found the, my one true soulmate. I found the person that completes me. Doesn't that sound sweet? It's kind of disgusting, isn't it? I mean, right? It sounds so, especially young people, it's like, oh, I found the one. He just completes me. He lets me talk. He doesn't interrupt. He just listens. Uh, give it six months, and you'll be mad that he doesn't talk enough. How many know what I'm saying, right? Okay. And, and so, but, but we, we have this idea, if we can find the right person, then everything that is wrong will be made right. But what happens then is that we take that person and we elevate them to a place in our life that they were never intended to be. We make our lover into God and expect that person to fulfill all of our needs. And there is no human alive that can fulfill all of our needs. And if you go into marriage with that expectation, you're going to be terribly let down. Anybody that's been married for more than five minutes can say amen to that, right? It, it, it's true. Nobody can live up to that expectation. So here's what I want to do. I want to look today at the model of marriage, and then we're going to look at the mission of marriage, and then lastly, we'll just spend a couple minutes on the mystery of marriage. So let's look at the model of marriage. First of all, God created everything in the earth. You've heard me talk about this just a little bit, but I want to touch on it again. At creation, God saves his best work for last. He shows up on the scene, and then he makes this statement. He says, let us make man in our image. Now let me, I told you this is going to be a little bit more theological. Let me explain this. God said, let us, because God is a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He said, let us make man in our image. And we, too, are made up of three parts, our mind, our heart, our spirit, all those. We're made up. that. But watch this. When God decided to create man, he created man in his image. So God is all-sufficient. In other words, God didn't need a wife or he didn't need a counterpart in order to produce creation. 
He didn't need a counterpart to have a baby, all right, everybody? In other words, God had X and Y all wrapped up in himself. If he would have needed a counterpart, he would have ceased being God all-sufficient. So he made man in his image, and he made man and named him Adam. And the word Adam means all one. Adam was all one. He was all-sufficient, just like God was all-sufficient. God said, I'll be the king up here, you be the king down there. I'll be the Lord up here, you be the Lord down there. Therefore, king of kings and Lord of lords. And Adam, Adam was all one. I know it's a freaky concept. But then God himself, for the first time ever, he looks down and he makes this statement, and it's in your Bible. He said, it's not good that man is all alone because he forgets to take out the garbage. He, <laughs> right? It's not good that he's all one. It's not good because every other thing I created has a counterpart, but man does not. And, um, and so then marriage then, so God separated man and woman, and marriage then becomes the life of taking the two that have been separated and having them become one again. Is everybody following me on that? Okay, now, so the Bible has a lot to say about that. Here's an example. Um, if you purchase a vehicle or you purchase some complicated piece of machinery, well, we usually need an owner's manual, especially if we're not familiar with that. And, and, and we need to follow those instructions carefully so, because the designer of that machinery knows what it needs. Let me say it a more simple way. You can't put diesel in a car engine and ex, in a car that runs gas and expect it to run right. So let me say, God designed this machine called marriage, and we can't put whatever we want into it and expect it to run the way God designed it to run. Right, everyone? Okay, so let me give you some scripture to support everything I just said. Here's the model. It's found only in a couple of pages we get into the scripture, and we find Genesis chapter number 2. We find God creating or instituting this thing called marriage. All right, watch this. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be all alone or all one. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, that word helper today can really, if we're not careful, it could cause some like, you know, bowing up like, oh, I'm just a helper. Ladies, God has given men and women very distinct roles. Right here he calls her a helper, and we have minimized what it means to be a helper, but a helper is an incredible gift that God is giving to the unity of marriage, everyone. A helper. Watch this. Now, first of all, because the Lord knows us men, we needed a lot of help. Amen, guys? We need a lot of help. I heard a loud woman amen out there. Now, the Lord God, watch this. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and the birds of the sky. He, bought, he, he, excuse me, he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Now, this is interesting, too. Let me take a little side note. So I want you to see that God brought all the animals and gave Adam a job. I want you to name all the animals. So I want you to see something, ladies. I want you to see this. God gave Adam a position before he gave Adam a person. And there's why most men will get our fulfillment from our position. We'll get our fulfillment through what we build, what we sell, what we do. You ask a man about what he did today, he'll come alive. You ask him about his feelings, he will die a slow death. Right? 
What'd you do today? What'd you build today? What'd you sell today? Well, how, you know, all that kind of stuff. Because we were given a position, we get our fulfillment through what we do. Watch this. But he gave Eve a person before he gave her a position. Therefore, if you talk to most women, women will get their position through the relationships they have. They'll, they, they get their fulfillment through their husband. They get their fulfillment through their marriage. They get their fulfillment through their friends. They get their fulfillment through raising those kids. They, they are fulfilled through that. You, you mess with a, a woman's kids, boy, and she will tear you limb to limb because that's where she gets her fulfillment. Come on, where's the mama bears in the place, right? Right? He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Sorry, I didn't say this in the first service. Don't you think Adam got tired after a while? I mean, think about it. He named the mosquito. Where did you get that name? Mosquito. Don't you think he was tired by the time the fly came around? What's he doing? Flying? Fly? Okay, yeah, I, I don't know. That just came to me. That's pretty good, though. Okay, anyway. Uh, okay, go to my next verse. <laughs> Do I have some next verse? Come on. Okay. So, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, there was no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Now watch this. It's interesting in Scripture that the Bible starts with a wedding and the Bible ends with a wedding, and both of them become models to us. The first wedding is between a man and a woman. The last wedding is between Jesus and his bride called the Church of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now watch this. Isn't it interesting that, G, that, that Adam, or God caused Adam to fall asleep. He pierced Adam's side, pulled the feminine. He didn't go back to the dirt to make Eve like he made Adam because Eve was already created. She resided inside him. And so he pulled the feminine side out of Adam, out of from within him, not the dirt. Isn't it interesting that the second Adam named Jesus also on the cross dying into a deep sleep, his side was pierced and out of his side blood and water flow creating what we now call the church of Jesus Christ, otherwise known as the bride of Christ. Ooh, come on, are you guys with me on that? Watch this. Now that's going to make some sense in just a minute, but just keep on tracking with me. Where are we at? Verse number 22. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Now give me my last little chunk of verses here, and notice the yellow words because we're going to build some uh, foundation out of this. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken from the man. Okay, the two were all one, they were separated. Marriage then becomes the model of marriage is two that spend a life becoming one. The reason marriages aren't working today is because we have two individuals that are determined to stay individuals. You're sleeping in the same bed, you're living under the same roof, but you're building off different blueprints. Marriage is about two individuals becoming one again. What God had pulled apart, now marriage is the act of them becoming one. Watch this. Then verse number 24. That is why, now men, this is speaking to us. That is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked. That's men's favorite verse right there, and they felt no shame, all right? Now, there's four laws in this that I want to pull out, and I'm not going to do them justice, but I want to hit them quick uh, while we're here. 
Um, and, and this is primarily, I want to preach primarily this part to the young men, but primarily to young couples. I want you to see this because it helps you know what you're shopping for and what you're looking for, and it helps you know what to do to prepare. So there's four laws of marriage pulled out of this. I want to give them to you. Number one is the law of priority. I want you to see the law of priority because it says he leaves his father and mother. So what used to be a priority, now that I'm getting married, I have to say goodbye to that and hello to this. Paul says it this way, when I was a child, I thought like a child and I acted like a child. But now that I became a man, I have to leave those childish things behind me, come on, and cleave to something else. Uh, um, So young men in the room, you're working on becoming independent. Uh, You're working on paying your own bills. (laughs) Okay, parents, let me help you out. You're working on getting off your parents' payroll, amen, right? Yeah, Some are out of the house physically, but you haven't taken responsibility and you're still connected to the house emotionally. Parents, let me challenge you. You got to teach those teenage boys and daughters for that matter. You got to give them roots and you got to give them wings all at the same time. You got to teach them how to leave. You got to let them separate a little bit more. You got to make them help them make tough decisions so that when it's time to leave and cleave, they know how to leave and they know how to take responsibility. And if you don't learn how to leave, what will happen is men will look for another attractive woman that will take care of you and think that she's your mom, but you're not looking for a mom, you're looking for a wife. Mm -hmm. Number two, the second law is the law of pursuit. The law of pursuit, it's where uh, we take that from the little line that says, and unite with his wife. I tell the young men this all the time. I said this uh, at the conference I just spoke. I just spoke to a room full of 1,100 men, and I told the men this. I said, you got to stop looking for a girlfriend and look and shop for a wife. Mm. So let me say it now to the ladies. Stop shopping for a boyfriend and look for a husband because what might be a good time as a boyfriend might not be the person you want to spend the rest of your life with. Come on, everybody. Get married, and so what happens is, and this happens more with the men than the women. I'm sorry, but these are just the stats. What happens is you get married, and you're still trying to hang out with your buddies from high school, but you're trying to get married, and you still want to have all your hobbies, and you still want to go all night Friday night, eat Doritos, and play video games with your buddies from high school, but it doesn't work like that. The Bible says you're supposed to leave that and become united with her. Come on. Otherwise, you're not becoming one with with her. You say, that sounds like a lot of sacrifice. Exactly. And that's the problem in marriage today is we have two individuals that are determined to stay individuals, but God said that's not the plan. The plan is for two individuals to sacrifice themselves and become one, and then and only then do they become whole. Come on, everybody, right? That's what the Bible says. Number three is the law of partnership. The law of partnership is where we, from that line that says, become one flesh. And again, let me pick on this, but your priority is not your buddies anymore. Your priorities is not your hobbies anymore. Your priorities is not did you get number one on the video game anymore. Your priorities is not all of that stuff. And the biggest problem in marriage today is that two people don't know how to become one. Now your priority should be God, your wife, or your spouse. 
And that's how you unite. You unite. And, and, and watch this. L- let me throw this in there. If you don't unite, if you don't, if you don't practice the law of partnership and become one flesh and make her priority, she will be hurt. Because I just read the verse, she was created to do life with you to be your helpmeet. And so she needs to hear your vision. If there's no vision coming out of the man's mouth, then the woman doesn't have anything to help meet. And there's no vision. And without vision, people perish or people get discouraged. And I have all these giftings, but I can't use my giftings because you're not leading us anywhere. Woo, that sounds so strong. When you get radius quiet, you know you're on a nerve. Yeah, I know it sounds old-fashioned, but maybe there's some old-fashioned principles we need back in the house of God. Am I right about it? Come on now. And if you don't, listen, guys, please hear this. If you don't make her a priority, she'll be hurt because she can't fulfill her God-given role. And she'll be hurt. She might not even recognize it, but she'll get jealous because she doesn't have no role to fulfill. And, 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 so what she, and she has passion to give, but you won't let her pour that passion on you because you're not opening up your life. You're not becoming one with her. You're not becoming one flesh with her. So she'll look for a place to put her passion. And you know where most women put their passion? Come on, ladies, tell us. In the kids. They'll put the passion in the kids. And that'll work for a little while, but she's off raising the kids. You're off doing whatever you're doing. And, 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 and the problem is when them kids graduate and they move out, two strangers look at each other because they've never learned how to become one. And there are cr- a crazy amount of people that are divorcing today that have been married 25 years. You would think after 25 years you got it together. No, she poured her passion into the kids. He poured his passion into the career, and we never put our passion toward one another. And when the kids are raised, come on, there's nothing left because we have not become one. You guys hearing me today? Mm-hmm. And by the way, let me throw this in here. When you get married to each other, you're, you're, not, you're, you're not joining each other's family. Now, hold on. Let me say that with a grain of salt. You are, like, because they're coming. Mom and them's moving in, too. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I mean, all the philosophy. I mean, one of the first things she said, I mowed the yard the first time ever. She said, my dad don't do it that way. I was like, whoa. I mean, I'm like, who's your daddy now, huh? I mean, you know, I mean, you know. My dad don't do it that way. Well, you left his house, honey. I mean, you know, all right? Okay. Anyway, sorry, sorry. <laughs> thank you. Let me, whew, thank you, thank you. <laughs> but, but you're not joining each other's family. Here's what I'm trying to say is you're starting your own family. You're starting your own. As a dad, I have to keep my nose out of my grown kids' business and their new families unless they invite me. I used to be their coach. Now I'm their consultant. And consultants only have a job when they get called to consult. I wish they'd call me more. How many know what I'm saying, right? And it's hard to keep your nose out of it. You say, yeah, but I have an opinion. I know you had an opinion. You had an opinion for 18 years. For 18 years you set an example. For 18 years you told them what to do. Now they're left and they've gone to start their own family. And you're going to hope that they'll pick up some of the things that they liked, left some things behind that they didn't. Mm -hmm. All righty. Let's settle down a little bit. 
Let me give you the last one. Number four is the law of purity. The law of purity, it comes from the line, they were naked and they felt no shame. But let me say something about that. Um, You have to have the first three operating correctly before the fourth one will really operate in the way it's supposed to be. And, And when the Bible says they were naked and felt no shame, yes, they were physically naked, but they were also emotionally transparent and naked and vulnerable with one another, and you'll never reach that place in marriage unless these first three laws are in practice. And so the two were separated. Sex then becomes the celebration of two that were separated becoming one. That's why we're not supposed to have sex with ten people. We're supposed to have sex with one person. It's two that become one, all right? Now, we're not throwing any stones, none at all. We've all gone down roads maybe we wish we wouldn't have. But also, It's the same picture of the last wedding in Revelation of Jesus. He left heaven to become united with the church, and we become one with Christ. In him we live, in him we move, and in him. It's not me and Jesus. I am now a child of the living God. Amen, everyone? All right, let's speed this along. Uh, I know I told you it'd be some deep weeds here today, but let me take it a little farther. That's the, that's the model of marriage. Here's the mission of marriage. Um, first of all, let me dispel a, a myth. The myth is, and I've, I've met with a lot of couples over my life that will say, well, man, if we were meant for each other, this wouldn't be so hard. <laughs> if, if, if we were meant for each other, man, this wouldn't take so much work. It's so hard. He ought to know by now that... Hold on, let me give another myth. Uh, Ladies, if you're thinking your husband ought to know something by now, he don't. (laughs) I wish he would just do it without me having to tell him. He won't. He, he just, he'll let the, he will balance things on top of the garbage to see how big of a tower he can build. Yes, we need to be reminded. We're guys. Did you see the scripture? We need a helper that is suitable for us, uh, which means you have to remind him. Buy a Valentine's card, honey. You know, you have to remind him of these things. Anyway, back to the myth of marriage should be easy. If we were right for each other, it wouldn't be so hard. Isn't that silly? I've heard that, but it's silly because we never tell an athlete who has raw talent that it will be easy to make it to the Hall of Fame. They have what it takes, but they got to work it out. You see, the fact is that any two people entering marriage are spiritually broken. Why in the world do we think that selfish, immature sinners all of a sudden become angels the moment we say, I do? It's like we show up and the pastor's going to preach a message, we're going to say, I do, and all of a sudden, ding, woohoo! But maybe, just maybe, God's mission for marriage is different than ours. See, in our society, whether we admit it or not, we enter into marriage for what we get out of the deal. We enter marriage because she makes, has a good job, he has a good job, she has all the right things in the right places. He has all the right things in the right places. However you want to say it, we have all kind of crazy selfish reasons of why we get married. And maybe God's mission for marriage is different than our mission for marriage. See, we often get married for our selfish reasons. But what if God's mission for marriage is to hold a mirror up to your sin and hold a mirror up to your brokenness? What if his mission for marriage is to consider the character flaws, the weaknesses, and the warts that we have in our life? Maybe the mission of marriage is to get on our nerves and to polish off the rough edges. Somebody's saying, oh, good, we're doing really good then. (laughs) 
And to polish off the rough edges, that's only done by friction. Come on, married folks. Has your spouse ever got on your nerves? Come on. If you're lying, may the fleas of a thousand camels. How many of them are getting on your nerves right now? Come on. I mean, all right. Oh, see, she raised her hand, right? I mean, I got married, and all of a sudden, she's sitting beside me. We're watching a movie. She's eating popcorn, and I'm thinking to myself, man, she's a loud chewer. Could she quiet down? That is the loudest chewer. I can't even hear the movie. I mean, you'll get on your nerves for the craziest things, right? I know. I'm a psycho. I get it. I know. The first years of marriage is not about getting to know them better. No, no. It sounds good. Like, woo, that first couple years was tough. I was trying to learn how to live with her or him. No, no. You're getting to know yourself better. Because nothing holds a mirror up to you more than marriage does. If your buddy holds a mirror up to you, you kick him out of your truck. You don't talk to him for a month. But when she holds a mirror up, you can't go nowhere except the edge of that bed. How many know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. It's a mirror that forces us to see ourselves better. I'll give you an example. This is how terrible, messed up I am. The people literally booed me in the first service, all right? So we get home from our honeymoon. We go to Cancun. I'm married. I'm happy. I can't believe it. We get home on a Sunday. We both got to go to our jobs on Monday. We get up Monday or Sunday afternoon. She asked me this question. She says, honey, now my wife is literally literally the nicest, sweetest person I've ever met, okay? And she says this to me. She says, honey, um, tomorrow when we get home from work, what do you want for dinner, and what time would you like dinner? That sounds like a great question. I mean, that sounds like a question that, like, men are like, woo-hoo, <laughs> yeah, all right. And, and, and I didn't have an answer. And I did what a lot of guys do when we don't have an answer, or at least guys that are broken, and I got mad. And I didn't have an, and I, I started an argument. She wants to know what she can do to serve me, and I'm getting mad. See how messed up I am? There was a big old mirror in front of me. And, and, and when I didn't have an answer, the only tool I had back then to solve problems was anger. So I got angry about my wife asking me what time I want dinner and what would I like for dinner. And finally I was like, I don't know. Just fix something, woman. That's what she said. Because I felt backed into a corner and I didn't know. Now, hold on. Now, let me try to defend myself a little bit. What she was doing without me realizing it, she was holding a mirror up to my brokenness. See, I never had a dinner time around my house. I never had a family sit down. I, my whole entire high school years, from the age of 14 all the way, I went straight from work, or straight from school to work. I worked at a grocery store, and I would get the scratch and dent, and I would eat dented tuna and dented spam. That's gross, I want you to know. And I never had a dinner time. I never had anybody ask me my opinion. And so when she asked that, it was foreign to me. And because it was foreign, it was a mirror that was showing me how broken I really was. And although I wanted to have a good marriage, I didn't know how to have a good marriage because I couldn't answer the basic questions. And she was standing there saying, what do you want for dinner? Holding a mirror, showing me my brokenness. And so the only way I knew how to respond was with my anger. It's silly. I know. 
If she disagreed with me, I felt stupid. Well, my mom called me stupid my whole life, and now she's making me feel stupid, and she's holding a mirror in front of my brokenness. See, I can sidestep a buddy, but I can't sidestep her if I'm going to try to become one. What if the idea of marriage is about sanctification? What if God is using that other person to show you your flaws and yourself so that you can work on it? What if God's using that person to make you a better person, but you keep running away every time they hold the mirror? And if I marry again, the problem is I run from her into another woman's arms. The problem is that wherever I go, there I am. I'm still there, and they're still holding a mirror, and we're fighting over the same things. Woo, I'm on it today. I bet you can't wait for this service to end, right? So maybe you do need a changed partner, but maybe the partner you need to change is you. Mm. When I came to the revelation, when I decided to believe it's me, she, she had to come to her own decisions. Uh, she would tell you she didn't do everything right either. She did more right than I did. But when I decided I need to work on me, that's when I stopped saying you need to be and you should be, and I don't know why you don't, I had to work on me. I'm sure you've seen this before. I'll close here just a couple more minutes, but I'm sure you've seen this, uh, this marriage triangle before. Have you ever seen this? Uh, do, do I have that? Uh, the, the, there it is. You see, here's the reality. If I'll grow in Jesus and she'll grow in Jesus and we'll grow in Jesus, the, more we, the closer we get to Jesus, the better our marriage looks, the better our relationship works. If I, that's why we come to church. That's why we go to life groups. That's why we pray together. That's why we read the Bible together. Not for any other reason, but not to be religious, but the more I grow towards God, the more, come on, I know how to love her because I'm receiving the Father's love. And this is what Paul's going to talk about in the mystery, all right? Amen. So therefore, a great marriage is not about finding the right person, dating people out here. It's not about finding the right person. Those of you that are struggling right now, it's not about finding. Don't you dare say, oh, oh, man, I married the wrong person. It's not about finding the right person. It's about becoming the right person. Let me do this last point. I won't take as much time on this one. Let's talk about the mystery of marriage. <laughs> the mystery <laughs> Marriage, you're like, now you're talking, Ken. Now I can relate to that, right? Here's a question for you. Is marriage broken? Hmm. That's a good question, isn't it? Because on one hand, I can say, yeah, look at the statistics. Uh, And I I can say, yeah, it's broken because it's broken people. A broken her, a broken him coming together, trying to be whole. Ooh, we don't have the tools. But here's a bigger question. Can a broken marriage be fixed? Or can marriage be fixed? And the answer is yes. And here's why. Because God created it. And whatever he creates, he creates to win and succeed. And if God created it, if we'll do it with his regulations, it's God's institution. So if we do it God's way, we can win at this thing called marriage, right? Now, after this series, I'm going to start a series on the book of Ephesians, so I'm not going to dive deep into this, but I'm going to take you to what Paul says about marriage, just a little part, and we'll be on our way. Ephesians chapter number 5, here's the mystery of marriage. Watch. For this reason, now Paul is going all the way back to Genesis chapter number 2 and quoting the institution of marriage that God created in Genesis 2, and he's talking about it because in the church of Ephesus, there were Christian Christ followers that 
that were struggling in their marriage. So he said, this is God's order. This is his, his model for marriage. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. He's quoting right there. All right? But watch this. This is a profound mystery, Paul says. Any married folks agree? Yeah, this is a real mystery. <laughs> this is a puzzle right here I've gotten myself into, right? But Paul says that. He says this is a mystery. He says how a broken girl and a broken guy can come together with all their baggage and become one and be happily ever after, that's a mystery. That, that is a mystery. Could somebody solve the mystery for me? Well, he does. He solves the mystery. He says, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Now, hold on, I'll unpack that. He's saying, in the flesh, a guy and a girl get together, and they get married, and they're supposed to become all one. This is a mystery. But the mystery is solved in that the model is found in the model between Jesus and his bride called the church. Now, I'll unpack that just a minute, but let me, let me define this word mystery a minute. This word mystery, it means, in the Greek, it means secret. And it doesn't mean secret like I'm never going to tell you. It means secret like there's this key that I want to give you that will start the car. Okay? And, in fact, the real translation in the Greek is this, a powerful truth revealed by his spirit. So, so Paul's saying this thing called marriage is a powerful truth only revealed by the spirit. So what that means is that born-again Christians that have received Jesus as their Lord and Savior now have His Spirit living in us, and the mystery of marriage is the fact that the Spirit is living in us, and the Spirit reflects the model of Jesus, and if we do it the way Jesus did it, then we'll be successful in this thing called marriage, all right? Now watch, watch this, watch. Now let me show it to you, all right? Here's just a real quick highlight reel. Just as man, he just talked about it, for this reason a man leaves his father, Father, mother, just as man leaves his family and becomes one with his wife. Watch this. Jesus leaves his father and becomes one with his church. Ah, come on now. Just as we leave our father and become united with our wife, Jesus demonstrates this mystery in the fact that he gave up his interests, he gave up his place, he sacrificed. I know it sounds old fashioned, especially in a day when we're saying, I'm not going to change for anybody. Well, welcome to divorce court then, right? Uh, I'm not changing for anybody. Well, Jesus gave up his interests. Jesus gave up his desires all for the bride of Christ. He gave up this so that he could be united with us. And that is the mystery. If we're willing to give up ourselves and die a little to ourselves, then we can become united with one another. And then and only then will we live, come on somebody, happily ever after. Amen? Come on now. That's the secret. All right. I got to end or Janessa's going to wring my neck. All right, everyone? Would you stand with me? Would you receive that today? Is that all right, everybody?